Hello and welcome to a special preview episode of the Euro 2020 quarterfinals. In this mini episode, we'll be discussing Switzerland versus Spain, the first of the quarterfinals, taking place at 5pm UK time on Friday, that's tomorrow. We've divided these previews into three key areas for each team. What to expect from these teams tactically, the players that we think will be the game changers, and how we see the sides interacting on the pitch. And let's go right into it, and let's start with what we expect tactics-wise from this game. Yeah, it's very interesting looking at these two teams, because they've had, in a lot of ways, a very similar route through the competition, and in some ways sort of a mirror image. Um, Both teams have sort of had a bit of a tournament of two halves, I would say, for both of them. The first two games were a little bit underwhelming, characterised by some odd selections, especially in Spain's case, Um, and an inability to figure out, you know, how to get the best out of their squad. Spain, for example, was still playing Marcus Llorente at right back. Switzerland hadn't played, it started even Steven Zuber until the third match. Um, So I think that both of them have had shortcomings in terms of finding their, their feet, but are now starting to look more like what they would have hoped to look like from the beginning. There's going to be, I would say, there's a little bit of a difference when you're looking at Spain versus Switzerland in this build-up because there's a very clear shift for Spain as soon as they bring back Busquets, as soon as they give Pedri a little bit more uh, you know, room to, to breathe and to play. They just look like a completely refreshed, different side. So um, I think, yeah, it's almost more... It's more pertinent to look at kind of the whole tournament that Switzerland have had whereas for Spain I think we kind of know what to expect from this game based on their last two. Yeah they definitely look the more settled of the two sides for the time being anyway in terms of sort of like knowing their best 11 and obviously as well Switzerland have the sort of huge issue that Granit Xhaka who is the man of the match against France and is one of their best players generally will be suspended so they're going to have to sort of reshuffle things a little bit there um, in terms of him but just looking at Spain first I think it's been really interesting to look at how they've played in these last two games because obviously the first two they really struggled to get off the ground and in the second two they scored 10 games and um, Ferran Torres and Sarabia have been particularly dangerous in the wide areas they've sort of been using their pace to get in behind but they're also both very comfortable coming inside, like drifting inwards, which provides a real variance in how Spain can operate in the final third and sort of makes oppositions guess a lot. And if you're a team like Switzerland that operates using wingbacks, it does mean that you're a little bit restricted. Do you sort of try and match them or do you sort of risk overcommitting that and those players, uh, you know, chucking inside and, and wreaking havoc, which I, I think is probably what Spain's game plan is going to be. Alvaro Morata is still struggling um, a little bit, but I don't think there's a huge cause for concern there for two different reasons. Firstly, he's got a really good goal against Croatia, and that can often provide a striker with much-needed confidence. And the second thing is, Spain have got a lot of goal scorers from elsewhere in the squad, as we've seen across these last two games. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be an interesting one because I I would kind of we'll talk about Morata later because he's probably going to be my player to watch. Um, but yeah, they've got so many exciting players. You said Sarabia and Torres. They've also got people like Danny Olmo to come on off the bench. Mikel Oyarzabal, who we've talked about on the podcast before and is just a really good attacking player, dangerous. And it kind of feels like they're all starting to like have kind of pockets of of form and they kind of dipping in here, here and there with a golden assist and Spain are looking really dangerous. Well, that's the thing. It's this. I think they were the first team ever to have five different goal scorers in a single match in that five-three against Croatia, which definitely is going to lighten the load a little bit on Alvaro Morata. Obviously, if they want to sort of mix it with the best teams in the tournament, it would be ideal if every player was was playing to the best of their abilities. But I think maybe you know because of that goal, we could see that from him. I, th- I think it's key though that Spain aren't really lacking in offensive capabilities. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. The other area that's maybe a little bit lacking is sort of 
how they effectively close out games. Obviously, they were 3-1 up against Croatia and let it go to extra time. And obviously, they then did do well with those subs to finish the game off. But it was one of those that, realistically, if they'd been able to close out the game effectively, wouldn't have needed to go to 120 minutes in the first place. Definitely, potentially reflects just a little bit of, of a lack of, yeah, just complete lack of game management, but also maybe a little lack of, I don't know, elite mentality mindset um because even when you have someone like Sergio Busquets on the pitch you're still conceding too late um to take it to extra time so yeah that that is a concern for them for sure the sort of last problem area I think about is the defense particularly the center back obviously Marcus Sorrento was playing up right back and has now been replaced by Aspilicueta which I would say is a big upgrade uh, Aspilicueta sort of been one of the most reliable defenders around for ages and ages and ages but the center back partnership just the swapping of Power Torres and Eric Garcia even when it happens mid-game, I don't know, maybe this is me being a little bit old-fashioned football fan, but I always feel like a good centre-back partnership doesn't get broken up. You sort of stick with it, even for Man City. Like Pep Guardiola, who loves to rotate, for the most part stuck with Diaz and Stones and occasionally brought like a Emirate Laporte or someone someone like that in there, but for the most part stuck with it. The Eric Garcia, power Torres sort of flip-flop. All it says to me is that the manager's a little bit uneasy about his centre-back partnership and he doesn't really know which one of them is the best for him. Um... So I think that could definitely be another weak area. Looking at Switzerland tactically, uh, another side that took a little time to get off the ground, pretty unconvincing performance against Wales, couldn't pull the trigger, really looked abysmal against Italy, who just ran them into the ground. But now they're sort of finding a more concrete identity. Harris Seferovic has turned it around and was is fantastic in the air and uses strength really well. That part as well with Brea Lombolo's pace and ball-carrying ability. Their wing-backs have been excellent in creating chances from, from wide. But a big miss for them, like I mentioned earlier, is Granit Xhaka suspended after a yellow card in the game against France. So now Switzerland are going to have to come up with new ideas on how to control the game centrally. And it's an area that I don't think they have a lot of depth in. They don't really have another player that plays the same kind of football as Granit Xhaka. I believe it's probably Dennis Zakari that's going to come in. And it's not really a like-for-like replacement in terms of ability or what they do. I would agree. I think it's it, it could well be pivotal in terms of you know how this game plays out to not have Granit Xhaka in there. Um, because... He just had such an incredible game for France and was so pivotal to, to them winning. And Switzerland, it's an interesting one because um, I guess we'll talk a little later on about the interaction and the matchup. But um, just to talk briefly on their tournament so far and what's worked for them tactically, um, there's a really strong pattern, uh, which is that when teams have given them the lion's share of possession, they've really struggled with it. Um, and when teams kind of take on more than half of, of the ball, then... Switzerland have been really effective at hitting them on the counter. So um, there's going to be something something that we'll obviously talk about later on when, when we talk about Spain's style as well. But um, yeah, if you look at, for example, against Wales, where they, they didn't look their best at all, Wales gave them 62% of possession. Um, and against Italy as well, Italy only had 49% possession. So they definitely played the game that they wanted to and, and won 3-0 as a result. So Switzerland really struggled in those and then managed to stifle France who had 55% possession during that game. And um, they also beat Turkey. And Turkey, weirdly, again, had more than 50% possession. So it's quite clear, I think, what what is going to work for them um, and what isn't. Yeah, it's always very interesting when you have one team that's very comfortable off the ball and against a team that really wants to play on it. We'll get more into that into the interactions section, but I think it's always interesting to see how those two teams sort of play against each other. Um, looking at our game changes, uh, I think you alluded to who your game changer might have been earlier for Spain. Uh, so shall we start with our Spanish game changes? Uh, and would you like to start with your pick? 
Yeah, do you know what? If you'd told me a week or two ago that I was going to pick Alvaro Morata as the one to watch, I think I, I would have laughed along with the rest of uh, the country. But I think that this this game that he played against Croatia has the potential to be, I don't know, tournament-defining in that it just felt like everything clicked for him. Um, you know, he, he always, always had that work rate, um, but the link-up play was there. Um, and... He got his goal, and I, I just think that with all of these really exciting attacking players around him, if he can be the player that clearly the manager has been determined to make him, um, and and be that you know number nine who can can unlock everyone else around him, then I think that's going to be crucial. Yeah, and I think as well it, it could be an instance of. You know, Luis Enrique has, has given him his entire trust. Every single game he started him. Gerard Moreno hasn't been able to get in as a striker per se. The only time he's had time to play has been on the right wing in order to accommodate Morata. And sometimes it's one of those things where, obviously, as a striker, you have a more demonstrable, you know, flat metric of if you're doing well or not, because there's goals. You can play well, as Morata has done, and sort of get the ball down well and move in space. But if you're not getting goals as a striker, you haven't really done your job. And in that situation, if the manager is continuing to trust you and continuing to trust you and continuing to trust you, we sort of joked a few episodes ago about how sort of he'd be like, please stop playing me, my son's getting really angry. But the other side of that is, you know, playing with the confidence of the manager can can inspire confidence in you yourself. So maybe this goal plus that will snowball into a good finish to the tournament. Um, he's not who I've gone for as my game changer, though. For my game changer, I've gone for Pablo Sarabia. Um, it's interesting because he's not usually a massive goal scorer, but his ability to arrive late in the box and sort of pounce on the second ball has been really key in Spain's games this tournament. Oftentimes in international tournaments where the team has sort of had less time to train together, less time to figure out what drills happen and who's, whose job it is to sort of clear it and sort of run for balls, there's less sort of communication. And so you do, in my opinion anyway, see a lot more loose balls in the box, things sort of pinballing around and not being cleared in time. And in that environment, a player who runs late into the box and can jab one home is invaluable as Sarabia has been. Um, and it's interesting, is he's more of a creative player for PSG, but here he's been really, really threatening even when he hasn't scored. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think um, he's going to be a really crucial player for them if they're going to progress further. And he's definitely a really fun player to watch. And it's interesting because, as you say, it's not necessarily always his game to to play like this, but um, it seems to be working. And what's crucial about that for me is that a a lot is made in international football about trying to replicate the form of your club. Like trying to get the best that you see at their club level out of them on an international stage. But it's always really interesting to to see players used differently in an in international team and really benefit from that. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, what about Switzerland's game changer for you? Is it a player that you're expecting to step up into the Granite Xhaka role for them? Or have you gone with a different direction for this one? It's not, no, it could have been. I think um, just for the, the meteoric rise that I've seen him have in this Swiss side, I've gone for Steven Zuber. Um, and I just think that he, he, didn't, he didn't play the first few games when they didn't do well against Wales or Italy. He's come in. Since then, despite not playing at least two games, he's got the, the uh, tournament high assists in four um, including, I think, three assists against Turkey. And, yeah, I just think that with with the shape that they have, um, hitting hitting the flanks, if they're going to try and at least maintain a foothold in this game, I think that their strengths are going to be really important and it's going to be out wide because I don't think they're going to be able to compete in the midfield. So I think Steven Zuba is going to be integral and he has to start. 
Yeah, I agree. Steven Zuber's who who I've gone for as well. Obviously, the, you know, as you mentioned there, the assists thing, the numbers don't lie. He's been great. He's been creating loads of great chances as well. And his combination with Harris Seferovic, who's, you know, very physical, he's six foot two. When I was thinking about these teams and I was sort of trying to imagine the ways in which either side could win this game, the way that I saw Switzerland winning it involves sort of like Eric Garcia not fully confident in his starting berth, being out-jumped by Harris Seferovic off the back of a Steven Zuber cross. Um, so that's sort of how I see Switzerland's main path to victory being a thing. He's also going to have like a very important role playing, obviously, offensively and also defensively. Um, uh, Spain will be trying to sort of probably top players inside so again we'll get a little bit more into this into the interactions but I think his role is going to be multifaceted he having a good game for him is going to basically be whether or not Switzerland have a good game um, because not only is he important himself but he brings out the best in a lot of their players looking at the interaction between these two teams how do we see this game playing out so to get the the obvious stuff out of the way first I think it's clear that Spain will look to dominate possession and you know, remain on the front foot, create as many chances as possible, and Switzerland will look to let them do that and try and hit them on the counter. Um, Spain obviously have a pretty well-organised defence in terms of experience, but they've also really struggled at times. So Switzerland, I think, can be confident that there's a good chance, you know, there's a mistake in, in this um, this side, uh, and, and they will maybe get at least one or two chances. So if, if they can stifle Spain, um, then... I think there's there's maybe a chance that they could win this game 1-0. It's interesting to me to think about how these teams will interact because in a way we almost saw a preview of it in their sort of previous round of 16 games. Obviously the scoring patterns across their round of 16 games were actually identical, albeit in the other way around, so the, the reverse team sure. going through. Um, you know, Switzerland went up 1-0 and then France went back, went up to 3-1 and then Switzerland got to 3-3, whereas Spain went 1-0 down to Croatia, then brought it back to 3-1 and drew 3-3 before taking to extra time. So... It's interesting to see maybe sort of, you know, Switzerland's ability to dig deep in the later stage of the game, whereas Spain's get vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's kind of a weird mirror image of itself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, so what's interesting about this matchup is that while Switzerland, as we talked about, have kind of um, flourished in games where they've been able to sit on the back foot and, and give um, more possession to the opponent... They've really struggled in games where they've played against a 4-3-3, which is what Spain play. Um, that's what Italy played under, and that's also what Wales played with. So it could it be, you know, it, it's hard to work out how really the, the lay of the land is going to fall. Yeah, I think they are a very good match. I, I think just the obvious answer is Spain are going to win this, especially because Switzerland are missing their player who sort of masterminded that game against France. So it's kind of hard to see them getting a result full stop, much for that, much less with that Granit Xhaka. But we've had bigger upsets. I mean, their last round was a huge upset. We've seen Czech Republic Netherlands be an upset. Uh, I, I wouldn't quite count them out, but I also, <laughs> if you're a gambler, wouldn't necessarily put money on them either. I do think we'll get to see quite early where the battle's going to be won, based on whether the ball is being moved out wide or centrally. I think Switzerland are going to be keen to keep it out wide, and Spain are going to be trying to move it centrally, get their wingers to sort of play more like inside forwards. What will be definitely very interesting, based on the games that happened before, is if we see an early goal and how that sort of changes things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that would create really the kind of game that Spain have, have enjoyed in the last few, which is very open, very end-to-end. And I actually think that that's what suits Switzerland as well. So um, I think that if an early goal were to happen, then you know, that, would, that would really open it up in a nice way. I do think that if Switzerland are going to win it, it's probably going to be by holding on, not scoring too early, 
maybe getting a second half 1-0. Yeah, I think that's definitely a very realistic sort of outcome for this game. Um, I think that about does us for this preview episode. So, Rupert, thanks as always for coming to chat. Cam, thanks very much, and thank you to everyone at home for listening. Cheers, guys. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.